let's grab our seats, pull out our Bibles. We're going to head back. <laughs> We're going to head back to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Simple, very familiar for many of us. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 uh, through 30. And I'll, I'll do it again just before we read the text. There's always good books to read. Um, obviously, in this series, I'm, I'm pulling a lot from John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland. And so, um, yeah, he's written this book on the ruthless elimination of hurry. So I've already referenced this one quite a bit. It's a fantastic uh, book. Uh, I'll make, I might make, we'll see how this morning goes. Uh, I might make reference to this little book uh, by Henry Nguyen. Uh, he's actually a scholar theologian from the Netherlands, um, and this little book is just a gem. Um, it is, I'll, I'll qualify it by saying it's, it is a book uh, more so for ministry leaders in particular, but the principles that he deals with in this book are just solid. So um, Henry Nguyen, The Way of the Heart. All right, Matthew chapter 11 uh, verses 28 through 30. Let's read it together. Uh, Jesus declares, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle, Gentle and lowly in heart. If you have the idea of God coming after you with a thunderbolt, you got the wrong God, right? He is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus says, is easy, and my burden is light. So over the last few weeks now, uh, we've considered the dynamic of kind of the, the busy, hurried life. Um, and we've seen the cultural factors. Uh, you'll have to go back to last week's sermon if you want to go through that again. Uh, the cultural factors as well, as well as the busyness cycle that we find ourselves oftentimes in. That busyness cycles, cycle being marked out specifically by anxiety. You're being motivated by anxiousness. And where there's anxiety, there's also fatigue. There's a weariness that we all kind of uh, experience when we've lived this life of anxiety. Anxiety uh, is uh, an energy killer, right? It is a burden to bear. It zaps you out, right? And eventually, this cycle of anxiety and fatigue eventually lead us to burnout. It's a, it's a busy life that ultimately leads to burnout. And it may be helpful to qualify the, the busyness cycle with the fact that within our world, we say we're busy. We say, oh, yeah, we're hurrying around and doing this, that, and the other thing. But we're not exactly always busy. We're oftentimes distracted people, right? And those are factors that go into what we would then say, well, I got I to gotta run around. I'm a, I'm a hurried person, right? Moving from one thing to the next, trying to knock off all the things that might be uh, on our list. But remember then what Jesus says to those 
who labor and are heavy laden, he says to us, as we saw last week, we were considering how do we begin the process of undoing this busy life, and Jesus speaks into that busy life and says, come to me. There's a coming to Jesus that must take place. Um, as we said last week, many receive this invitation, few apprehend it. Jesus is speaking to everyone, come to me. But that invitation will only be truly apprehended by a few, right? Because oftentimes this, I, this hurried life, we have to recognize, is an idolatrous life. And that may come across being like, but, but man, I'm, 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 I'm anxiety. I got anxiety and the fatigue and I'm worn out. And, and how do how you dare tell me that I'm being idolatrous? Um, idolatrous lives are hurried lives. They right, go back and forth, right? The hurried life is the idolatrous life. It's the fact that we're thinking that being busy will gain me some level of significance. And then as we're pursuing those things, well, the digital media becomes my distraction when I'm, when I'm feeling fatigued and I'm, I'm getting then the, the escapes to deal with the inner stuff of my own heart and, and life. The hurried life is an idolatrous life. And Jesus telling you, come to me, he's breaking into that idolatry. If you're not willing to surrender him, you will not apprehend him. How far do you have to hit bottom before you say, hands up, Lord, I surrender. Here I am. But oftentimes we got to go through all this stuff to finally give our hearts to the Lord. Remember, our habits reveal our heart, right? What our heart is desiring, what our heart is depending upon. And so when Jesus says, come to me, many receive the invitation, few actually apprehend it because we want to hang on to our idols. We want to hang on to the lies that we're believing. We want to hang on to those things that we think will give us significance and rest in this world that are actually just feeding the whole process of this busyness cycle. Jesus then went on to say, how do we unbusy our lives? By saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Remember, we are, as we said last week, to not only come to Jesus, but to follow after Jesus. In other words, and this is important for where we're going right now, the lifestyle of the Christian is to mimic the lifestyle of Christ. Catch it? The lifestyle of the Christian, you and me, is to mimic the lifestyle of Christ. And, and, and so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's literally saying, adopt my lifestyle. Literally take on my way of doing life. Not your way of doing life, not the world's way of doing life. Take on my way of doing life. Do you know in a general sense that your life is the product of your lifestyle? Your life is the product of your lifestyle. So, for instance, um, in the past, I've had these glorious dreams of becoming a homesteader. Right? A homesteader. Yeah. What is a homesteader? Uh, a homesteader is someone who buys up some acreage and literally lives off the land. 
right? They're homesteaders. They're, they're not necessarily going and doing life as we typically do. We're living off the land kind of thing. That is a very idealistic thing for me. It's like, yes, let's do that. Maybe that's the Midwest in me. You know, I want to, want to do that stuff, get my hands dirty, you know? And so it, I, I, there were times where, I'm, in fact, even this morning, I got this, this email from this guy. And I'm just like, who is, who is this guy? And I find, oh, I subscribed to this homesteader guy like years ago, and he still has my stinking email, and now I'm getting his emails because there was a time where it was like, I'm watching the YouTube videos. How do you do this thing? Okay, you buy up some land, and like you get the chickens, and you till up the land, and you make it so everything is this beautiful cycle that produces life. It ain't fantastic. And then it hits me. I've tried doing a garden. That lasted about three years of trying and trying, and the weeds always come, and I'm always too busy to water the stupid plants, right? So there goes the tomato plants, and there goes whatever else that we tried, you know, all shriveling up and dying. What was the disconnect? I could look at the, what the homesteaders are doing and want that life, but I have to adopt the life style, right? I can't just be doing what I'm doing and think that, oh, yeah, I can also do this, right? I got to adopt the lifestyle in order to have the life of the homesteader. It may be for many, uh, it's the common story, right? We see that infomercial and that testimonial, I lost 100 pounds taking this pill and doing this thing, right? And and, and you know, okay, you didn't just do that, right? You, you had a whole new lifestyle that you adopted. You were getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go do your workouts, right? I don't know about you, but you can sit back and be like, I want to be like that, all toned and put together. You know, I want to be like that, but I ain't waking up at 4.30 in the morning to do a workout, right? Who's going to do that? You can't just wake up in the morning, you know, like I typically do. It's the cup of coffee and the Pop-Tart. If you want the life of that toned person, right, that ain't what you're going. You're doing those stupid shakes, right, where you're just putting all the supplements in it, this liquid death that you're taking in, choking it down. I tried that for a while when I was back in, in college. It's awful, right? You can't just look at a life and say, I want that without adopting the life Style, right? That's the important piece. John, John Mark Comer in his book, he gives the illustration of that. Uh, it's quite a familiar bu business principle. It states this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Okay, think through it for a second. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. In other words, if you need different results, what do you have to change? The system, right? Like you, you can't just sit back and say, I'm just hoping for different results. Just, just different results. Come on, different results. Show up. No, you got to change the system. In fact, remember, that's how insanity is defined, right? Same system expecting what? Some different result. That's insanity to think that I can just keep on doing my life and have a different product. 
That's insanity. And I think, I think we have a bit of spiritual insanity, if I can say it that way, in the Western church. We all want to experience life with Christ while doing nothing or little to nothing to adopt the lifestyle of Christ. This, that, that is spiritual insanity, to think that we can keep kind of like our busy, hurried, distracted lives and yet experience depth in relationship to Christ. That's, that's insanity, right? Your life is the product of your lifestyle. We don't experience life in Christ apart from living the lifestyle of Christ, or as the text says, actually putting that yoke upon you and giving yourself to learning of the way of Christ. We have to adopt his lifestyle. In fact, um, what Eugene Peterson says, Jesus, that familiar text, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Eugene Peterson says, Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way, he states, and this is harsh, Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. In other words, we'll call ourselves Christians, even gain some head knowledge of the truth of Jesus, but most often fail to make Jesus' way our way, his lifestyle our lifestyle. You know, the question in the church today is often, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? But we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher, as the way, as my rabbi, as my master? In fact, we might read through these gospel stories most often, or more so, to just get a glimpse at the truth of Jesus neglecting the very fact that the reason why we have four stories of Jesus' same life is to show us the way of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus that I am supposed to put on. You see? We oftentimes read it just for the information. Oh, this is who Jesus is. Great, wonderful for him. Now I know it. Now I have the truth. Never thinking that his way is to be my way, his lifestyle is to be my lifestyle. That's the standard. We could say it this way. Jesus is the prototype of the new covenant. In other words, if you have come to faith in Jesus, your life is now to be modeled after Jesus. He's the prototype. He's the model. He's the way. He's the lifestyle for us. The question then stands, do you want to experience Christ? Do you even want to unbusy your life? Do you want to find what Jesus puts before us as being true rest? In order for that to happen, folks, we must take his yoke upon us and learn from him. We must embrace the lifestyle of Christ. Now, let me, let me just ask, you know, is Jesus' life a life worth emulating? <laughs> okay, yeah, that should be like, oh, duh, yes, right? Yes, it should be the life worth emulating, right? 
Today, I'm just going to jump into this kind of stuff and wrestle it around and see what happens, right? Today, everyone is looking for a deeper, more satisfactory life. That's, that's why you watch those stupid DIY, what is it, do-it-yourself kind of things. Like, yes, you get it, help me out, right? That's why we watch all that stuff. We watch all that stuff because, because we want that life. We're so interested in a life that is not our life, the life that looks like it's at ease, the life that looks like it's at rest. It has all this stuff and these things, and it looks nice. We have no idea all the work that goes into those things. We just sit back and watch it. Everybody wants some great life, some satisfactory life. Right? And when things break down, then it's counselor after counselor and therapist after therapist. Somebody's got to have the answer to this life. Somebody has to have the rest that I need. Somebody has to have the life that I need. Well, what better life to emulate than him who is life? Right? He is the way, the truth. He is the life. He's the perfect prototype for humanity. He's the perfect model of human flourishing. So if we are to emulate anything in this life, let it be Jesus. If there is a lifestyle we are adopting, let it be Jesus. If there is a way we are walking, let it be Jesus. Now, as we would look at Jesus' life, are there particular things that we can stand back and say, hey, those are certain rhythms to his life that I need to adopt? And in particular, are there ryth rhythms in Jesus' life that I need to put on that would actually go against this cycle that I often find my life in? You see what I'm saying? What aspects of Jesus' lifestyle might we see that would actually do some damage against this kind of lifestyle. We would call these spiritual disciplines, right? We can look at Jesus' life, and we can see there's regularities, rhythms to his life, which we would refer to as spiritual disciplines. And in this series, we're going to hit on four in particular. And the first one today is this, solitude. That's an actual word in the dictionary. We don't hear about it much today, right? <laughs> Solitude. All right, so if we would be in Matthew chapter 11, where you're getting some of Jesus' story, and we'd pull back the chapters to Matthew chapter 3, we come to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, here we begin to see how he lives his life, his lifestyle. So in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, we see that Jesus is baptized Interesting. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. And in verse 17, the father's voice rings out over his son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This then, this baptism in Matthew chapter 3, sparks or leads into the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. The anointing of the Spirit, this profound experience of the Father's pleasure, it was all for the sake of kicking off Jesus' ministry. The very thing that the Father had intended for the Son before the foundation of the world was established. A lifestyle of living that God the Father knew we needed. 
And notice then, what was the first thing Jesus does after he's baptized? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the what? Wilderness. To be tempted by the devil. Jesus doesn't begin his ministry by heading into cities. He doesn't, he doesn't head to where the people are. He doesn't put out, you know, the big tent for healing services or whatever, you know, crusades. Here comes the Jesus crusade. He doesn't begin with that. He begins by going to the wilderness. And the wilderness then could be translated all kinds of different things, the desert place. It is the lonely place. It is the quiet place. It is the place of solitude, right? And this then won't be the only time that we see Jesus go to the wilderness. Again, this is not just a one-off. This is something that Jesus continues to do. If you would evaluate his life, you would see Jesus goes to the wilderness time and time and time again. In fact, he'll even in Mark chapter 6, he'll actually take his disciples like, hey, you need to learn what I'm actually doing in the quiet place, in the desolate place, in the lonely place, in the quiet place. He takes his disciples. So this particular rhythm is something that we need to learn of Jesus. And what exactly then is this practice of solitude? What is, if we could say it, that what is this wilderness excursion that Jesus decides to go on on a regular basis? Too often, we think that solitude is equal to Sabbath, right? All you moms, right? To get away from those little ones, it's just like you can't get even time in the bathroom apart from them finding some way to get in and to get in the way of what oftentimes we say is solitude, right? Solitude is not equal to Sabbath. Too often we think that solitude is the place where we go to get privacy, where we go to get rest, where we go to uh, be on vacation, where we can get a little bit of R&R. Solitude is when I, of course, get to the spa or get to the beach. It's where I can unplug from life. That is everything backward to this idea of biblical solitude. It's not to say that those things are bad. It's not to say that time at the beach or spa or whatever is bad, no. But that is definitely not what Jesus is doing here in going to the wilderness. Henry Nguyen, from this book, he says this. He says, we think of solitude as the corner of the boxing ring, where we get our wounds oiled, our muscles massaged, and our courage restored. In short, we think of solitude as a place where we gather new strength to continue the ongoing competition of life. He states, but that is not solitude. The biblical equivalent to solitude is not Sabbath, but notice it's wilderness, right? Wilderness is not a pleasant place to be. It's where things go to die. It's not the corner of the boxing ring. It's at the very center of the boxing ring. It's where the warfare, the ground and pound, actually begins to happen. It's where thirst and weakness is felt most. This is what solitude fundamentally is. It's not rest. It's war. 
Solitude, as Henry Nguyen says, is where we get rid of our scaffolding. There's no friends. There's no family. There's no noise. There's no, you know, as we've said, the dopamine dispensers, right? Those wonderful screens that we have. There's no newsreels. There's no meetings. There's no music. It's just you. Just you and your vulnerable, broken down, naked self. It's where you are forced into a place of deafening silence to simply listen to yourself. It's where all your own thoughts, where, where all your own crooked wants begin to come to the surface. It's where you have space to actually listen to yourself think, listen to yourself want, right? It's even the place where the noise and clamor of those demonic voices come at you to tear you down, to remind you of what was, to remind you of what can't be. That is the experience of the wilderness. That is the discipline of solitude. Sound good? No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a place. It's where war takes place. You're going to the front lines when you get away from all the busyness, all the stuff that distracts you, that keeps you just kind of shriveled in soul. Again, so you actually don't have to face who you really are. Solitude is where we go to war. And by the way, just to add to this idea of the wilderness, throughout Scripture, the wilderness is a theme where God's people have to face themselves. Adam and Eve, when they've sinned, they're removed from the garden, and where do they go? Anybody know? Into the wilderness. They have to face their own sin, their own brokenness. They have to wrestle with it, if you will. And this is then seen in Abraham's life. It's seen in Hagar's life. What a story that is. It's seen in Jacob's life. It's seen in Moses' life. They were all cast into the wilderness to face the consequences of their sin, to face the wreckage of their lives. They were cast into the wilderness. We even find this theme kind of later on in the Exodus account, right? Where are God's people then brought to? Out of, Ex or out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And they have to stay there 40 years. Why? Because of disobedience, because of sin, because of the brokenness of the people. We're stuck here in this world to face the consequences of sin. And even if you'd go a little bit further in Scripture, the exile account where, where God's people are uh, conquered by Assyria and Babylon and they're taken to these other countries, the prophets will then speak of Assyria and Babylon as being symbolically wilderness places. They have to face the consequences of their own brokenness. They have to hear their own heart's wants. And if we'd see even a bit further in Scripture, and this is kind of peppered all throughout, but it's important to recognize also that the wilderness or the desert place is the place of the demonic. 
They are described in Luke 10 as serpents and scorpions. They are the inhabitants of the dry places, the wilderness. When they are cast out of people, demons cast out of people, Jesus says they wander through desert places. Even in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, or, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face who? The devil. So this discipline of solitude, this retreat to the wilderness is, is not a discipline of rest, but a discipline of war. You're getting away from everything to actually confront the sin within you, the noise within you, the rage of your own demons. Now, I hope you begin to get the point here, because this is like, oh, man, who wants to do this? Who wants to abide by this kind of lifestyle, right? But we have to recognize that the hurried, busy, distracted life is oftentimes intentional. You're busy intentionally. You go, 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 go intentionally with important stuff and with not so important stuff. We go, we go, we go, we go. Why? Also that we don't have to face ourselves. So we don't have to come to grips with ourselves. So we don't have to listen to the raging demons within us. It's just give me the next thing to do so I don't have to face me. So I don't have to face the inner voices that are speaking to me. Our busyness, our distractions, oftentimes are an escape from actually facing ourselves. And perhaps, perhaps that might be like a legitimate way, you know, of living life. Let's just busy ourselves so we don't have to deal with ourselves, right? Maybe that would be a legitimate way to cope with life if, if it were not for this particular point. And that is, the wilderness is not only a place where we are left to face ourselves, but it's the place where God has sovereignly chosen to meet us in our brokenness. Do you catch it? That wilderness is designed by God. That's where he wants to find you. That's where he wants to encounter you. The wilderness is the God-ordained place of encounter. It's, yes, the furnace of affliction, but simultaneously it's the furnace of transformation. It's the place where I come to grips with my own need. I actually find that I'm far more thirsty than I ever realized. I have far more need than I ever realized. It's where we come to grips with ourselves and come to that terrible but blessed realization that if I don't have Jesus, I die. The wilderness is that place where I come to the realization of my spiritual hunger, but it's where God has ordained to come and meet me, to come and satisfy my hunger. So from Abraham... God met him in the wilderness. For Hagar, beautiful story, she would declare El Roy, naming God the God who sees me as she's in the wilderness. God met her in the wilderness. For Jacob, God met him in the wilderness as they wrestled together. For Moses, God met him in the wilderness with the burning bush. For the people of the Exodus, God led them through the wilderness. For those exiled... God promised 
deliverance to them in the wilderness, stating Isaiah 43, 19, God says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it, you who are in the wilderness? For I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Who is the river? Do you remember? Who is the river symbolically in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God saying, I'm going to encounter you there. You're in the wilderness. I'm coming. I'm going to come and encounter you there. God has chosen the wilderness as a place of spiritual war, but also, we could say, of divine encounter. You will find God there. So Henry Nguyen then gives a summary statement saying, without solitude, without this exercise of going into the wilderness, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. If you're not willing to face your demons, if you're not willing to face your brokenness, you will remain shallow in your spiritual condition at best. As the Christian would give himself to a discipline of solitude, the wilderness will be first a place of affliction, but then it will become a place of connection, connection with the Lord. And why do we know that for sure? Why do we know that that's going to be the reality as we get away, as we unplug from all of life, not to just go find rest, not to just have our muscles massaged, but to actually hear ourselves come to grips with ourselves? Well, like, why, why do we know that God is going to encounter us in that place? Because it's why Jesus is stepping into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. He comes as the second. Where, where Adam failed, who comes to succeed? Jesus. Where the people of God failed for 40 years, Jesus comes and spends 40 days in the wilderness. He's, he's living again kind of the, the brokenness, the challenges of the past, and he's taken it upon himself to become the second Adam. He's going to be the one who guarantees that for us in the wilderness, God will be found. God will be near. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You can face your demons. You can face the noise of your own soul. Why? Because Christ has won the battle. He's dealt with your sin upon that cross. He's dealt with your shame. He's conquered the enemy. So now you can go into the wilderness. And yes, it will be ground and pound. It will be a wrestling with your own soul, with the demons that you hear, but Christ has won the victory. Yes? You don't have to keep busying your life into this spiritual oblivion so you, that your soul just remains shriveled and shallow. So you remain one who can't love. Remember, love is walking speed. It's three miles an hour. Love and hurry can't mesh together. They're incompatible. You've got to slow down to actually love someone. You can't love God. Then you can't love others in a hurry. We need the wilderness. We need time to say, you know what? I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to step outside this cycle. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel it. Although I, so to speak, unplug from it. 
Although I'm unplugging from this cycle and I'm scheduling time away, guess what all this stuff is going to come and do? You're going to be thinking of all the things you got to do when all this is done. And, and you're going to be reaching for your pocket, right? Where's that phone? Oh, I left it. Oh, I unplugged from that. And that's going to be, you're going to find that you are far more given to this cycle than what you realized. But let, let it be that you're understanding how thirsty you are, how needy you are. I don't want to be captivated by this spiritual kind of oblivion of, of a cycle. No, I, I, I want. I want to be a person who has depth to my being. I want to be a person who loves God well and loves others well. And so when we schedule it and we step outside of the busyness, right, all of this stuff will still be cycling through us even as we have been unplugged from it. And therein we'll have to face ourselves. We'll have to face our own brokenness. We'll have to hear the demonic horde raging against us. And if you think that's weird terminology, just try going to the wilderness for a while. You'll hear them. You'll hear what they're saying. If you're hearing thoughts, and it's not, I'm this, I'm that, but you're hearing, you are this, you are that, that is probably the demonic speaking to you. Don't think that the demonic is some primitive reality. It is an active reality. And we've just busied ourselves into oblivion so we don't even have to listen anymore. I'm just thinking about the next thing. So, folks, it's important to just get practical before we close things up. Um, Solitude will be that place where we go to confront ourselves, but it's where we will ultimately find Christ. In our weakness, remember, he promises to be our strength. What this looks practically for us, we could spend a whole nother hour going over this. But here's just a few thoughts. You can start small, right? Part, a, a, a smaller discipline of the broader discipline of solitude is silence. I'm going to sit in silence for 10 minutes. Torture. <laughs> it is torture. But as you do that, here's what I'd encourage you. Start small. But as you incline your heart to the Lord. It doesn't mean that your mind's right. Okay, what do I need to think about God? You know, I've got to get spiritual right now. That's not it at all. You're just inclining your heart to, Lord, I'm here before you. And you're going to hear all the noise. And you're going to want to be grabbing this and grabbing that, right? Sit in silence, 10 minutes. You don't have to do 40 days in the wilderness, right? It's 10 minutes of silence. Well, I'll do that, uh, you know, as I'm going to work. Nope, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Don't do that as you're going to work, right? This is not some like, oh, I can just fit it in as I'm, to be, as I'm sitting on the pot, right? This is not that kind of fitting in. That is disconnecting from everything and having your attention upon the Lord, right? Start small. Also then, recognize 
that what we're doing, what are you doing right now? Yeah. So we're sitting. We're resting. We're slowing down enough. Now, while that, this isn't necessarily wilderness, it steps toward it. In other words, what God has given us is specific spiritual disciplines outside of the discipline of solitude that would actually prepare us for the wilderness. You catch it? This, this is an exercise before the Lord. You've taken time away from your day with the hope to put on the lifestyle of Jesus so that he might be formed in you. This is no small thing. You kidding? As much as then we busy our, ourselves away from these normal rhythms of life, will be also then have an effect upon like how we end up in just a spiritual oblivion of a people. Right? It's important that these rhythms are seen as part of the process of actually training ourselves into that place of being able to fully disconnect and even if it's for 10 minutes, to actually come to grips with myself, my own thoughts, my own wants, and even the demons that might be raging against me. Notice this. For every wilderness, there's a promised land. For every wilderness, there's a promised land. For every time that we go out and face ourselves, Christ is present in his grace to give us, as Matthew 11 states, twice rest. Anybody not in need of rest? And I'll state it this way too. The rest we need isn't a vacation at the beach. Right? It's not just doing, getting my muscles massaged, get to the spa, get to that beach. Yeah, I'm feeling good. No. It's getting your heart actually connected with the one who is life. The one who is the model for life. Right? It's getting after him. So may God help us to that end. Lord, we come to you. We thank you. That you, you are so gentle and accessible. Gentle and lowly as you are. Thank you that you are so good to say, child, you need rest. When we're weary, when we're heavy laden, let us hear your words. Child, you need rest. So, Lord, we want, we want to take on that yoke. We want to take on your lifestyle so that we would experience your life. Lord, for any who are here who say, man, I don't even know what that experience of, like, relationship with Jesus is. Even for those who may have faith in you, that they would say, I'm not even sure how this, like, how do I even engage relationally? Lord, it is time for the Christian to experience the reality of the Christian life. Lord, we want encounter with you. We want you to be truly shaped in us.
not from a distance, but in an intimate connection. Lord, that we would unplug from the world in order to plug into you. We need this help. We need the help to adopt your lifestyle so that we might be shaped into your life to experience you, to know you. So Jesus, we pray that you would help us. Help us to that end. I just sense the Lord saying, like, there are some that I feel like the Lord is saying, you just don't know your need. You just don't know your need. You just don't know the thirst that you should have. You just haven't come to the end of yourself yet. You haven't come to grips with yourself, honestly. You keep him at a distance. You may know good things about him. You may even read your Bible, but you just keep him at a distance. He's just an additional thing to life that kind of maybe by guilt, you just kind of give a moment to throughout your day when he's calling you to far, far more. You just don't know the need of your life. thirst be quenched by things that cannot satisfy. Jesus says, come to me. Let him be the one who satisfies your thirst. Let him be the one that you say, like, if I don't have him, I die. pray that you would teach us what it is to step into the wilderness to face ourselves but therein to encounter you to know our need to find ourselves thirsty all the more but find that there is one who is satisfying there is one who saves make it true for us Lord
this is late and you got to roll, feel free to roll. I want to hear from you. I just want to, like, I want to hear from you guys. I mean, like, are we going somewhere? Are we moving forward? Are we receiving? And yeah, I'm pushing. I'm the pastor. This is what pastors do. And if you don't want to be pushed, then there's a challenge that I have as your pastor. Know that I love you enough to push you. I tell my kids all the time, I'm showing you right from wrong because I love you. I'm telling you, you can't do this and you got to do this because I love you. I gots to push. So what do you think? Where are we going? What's happening? Putting you on the spot. Thoughts? Or is this just way too awkward for you? Heading for great things. Got somebody hopeful. Man, good. Anything else? What are you thinking? What are the challenges? How does that feel to some of you? It's a hard, it's a hard, uh, it's a challenge for some, right? Because there's, there's hard things. It's like, how can I even see beyond what I see? How can I go beyond where I've been? How can I get past my own struggles, my own trials, my own demons? family don't feel afraid to say stuff I, part of it is like as a church I think we need to like peel this thing inside out the image that I got is one of those rubber balls that just needs to be slid down and popped inside out because we're all just kind of like hunkering down I know I'm, I'm listening to Pastor Dan I'm sure to back but I'm, I'm not quite to enter in we gotta face this stuff we gotta face it we gotta face just kind of our own if I could say it this way where, we, where we've relegated our Christian experience to be this is how it's supposed to work and how it's supposed to function and keeping it there you can't grow when you're saying God no you can't take me any further <laughs>
Well, here's the thing. I want to keep pushing. If you got concerns, if you got fears, if you're just like, I don't know what I feel, but I, this is making me feel weird. <laughs> Let's talk it out. We have to. Have to talk through things. What God is producing here is he's building a foundation for something. The question is, is it a stable foundation? That depends on how we come together, how we give ourselves to the Lord. He could build with that. If we're still like, I want to be a rock in this foundation, but I'm just going to kind of keep my odd edges not being willing to be smoothed over by the Lord. Just kind of keep me outside of what's happening, but enough to still feel like I'm a part of something. Um, that's not a stable foundation. God wants you all in. Everyone together. Which means there's, there's demons to deal with, brokenness to deal with, hard things to deal with. A lot of that stuff gets exposed in the wilderness. And if it's these kind of moments that push us into that encounter, push us into that realization, like a little healthy pressure, well, then that's what it's got to be. So that's where we're at. James, you got anything? I know he does. <laughs> All right. Lord, we ask your blessing right now. We ask your blessing upon us. Don't, Lord, don't leave us the way we are. Don't leave me the way I am. Oh, how I, how I can preach these things. And even as Henry Nguyen says, pastors can preach these things and lose their own soul. Lord, lead us forward. Don't lead us forward without doing the work in us that's necessary. Bind us together in unity, but do the work in us that is necessary to that end. Take us into the wilderness if need be. Unwind us from the busyness. Unwind us from all the distractions so we can face ourselves, face our need, but therein encounter you. Pray your mighty grace upon us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for gathering. I hope you walk away feeling free. Yes? Yes. yes. Walk away feeling free. Free. Free to deal with the difficult things of life. Free to deal with the hard things of life. But free nonetheless.